All right, welcome to Movie Court. This court is actually not in session. This is one of my famous uh, private quarters sessions where I've called in Prosa Kruger and our defense attorney, Kyle Bornheimer. Uh, We have some things to talk about. We want to wrap this year up uh, with a spirited discussion, but we also want to wrap up uh, this year in movies, maybe talk about some things we saw this year, as well as we're going to bring in some nominees. You two are going to bring some nominees to this courtroom that we may end up putting on trial in 2016. Uh, I know Kyle has um, a lot of thoughts on these matters, and I'd like for him to make an opening statement that takes us out of 2015 and into 2016. Kyle? Well, thank you, Your Honor. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year uh, to you as well, Prosser Kruger. And by the way, Prosser Kruger, I, I'm, I'd like to offer, uh, you know, we're enemies in this court, but I would like to offer you an, an on-air thank you for my red tea. Oh, you're welcome. That uh, Some gifts were exchanged this holiday much season. much better half got me um, in reference, you know, and, and Kruger, who's un- surprisedly to others, uh, has strong opinions on things, also has strong opinions on tea. Thank God, because I had some questions about tea, and he knew all the answers and got me the exact tea that I need for my lifestyle. Red tea, apparently. And uh, this episode brought to you by Roybus Red Tea. So thank you for that. And, um, and it is the Christmas season and the Hanukkah season, and, and uh, I think there's two or three other things that um, are up here in this uh, late December. And I don't like to bring a religion into the court, but Judge Ryan, I believe you will allow me to bring the movie gods into court and thank them for the Christmas season. This is my favorite time of the movie year, is the uh, holiday season. Uh, And we get such uh, little movie gifts uh, around this time of year that uh, bring joy to my cinematic heart. We got uh, a Quentin Tarantino movie this year for Christmas in the theaters right now, which is always a gift. We got Star Wars, of course. Rocky Balboa came back to us, one of the saints of cinema uh, in Creed, uh, a little earlier in the holiday season. Hateful Eight, by the way, the Tarantino movie I just mentioned, which uh, I saw and loved and won't give anything away to except to say. Uh, it's, it's, it's its own thing. It's not the third in line to Django and Inglourious Bastards. It's its own thing. It's very much a Tarantino movie, but... Um, what I will say in terms of this episode in, in, uh, in regards to the movie is it might be classified as a new Christmas classic in some ways. And it also be, uh, it might be debatable enough to be on movie court someday. We'll see. So I have seen, uh, not mixed reviews, but uh, I mean, it still has a pretty high score, but some asshole from Forbes. Sorry, guy, if you're listening, but he, he did his uh, disappointments of the year list. And it was basically every predictable movie that you would imagine. It was Hateful Eight, Spectre, Star Wars. Like, oh, okay. There you go. Like, somebody hates movies. Yeah, well, like, let's just go and, and prepare to be disappointed. Yeah, can you be more predictable, please? Yeah, so, and of course, uh, Christmas wouldn't be complete without the mixed blessings of uh, Mr. Leonardo DiCaprio, the actor that uh, I appreciate so much for making epic dramas with amazing directors, uh, movies that probably wouldn't get made without his uh, backing, and, and uh, usually he showcases them this time of year. And I usually love them, despite the fact that I still don't know how I really feel about Leonardo DiCaprio. But I think he's ultimately good for Wait, them. you saw Revenant? I did. Yeah, which also might be a Christmas movie classic. So now, for, as for 2016, as I settle into episode three of uh, Making a Murderer on Netflix, I am 
dismayed and disgusted and frustrated by the flaws in our judicial system. And sadly, this goes for our cinematic judicial system as well. And as I look at the slate of movies, I would like our Honorable Judge Ryan to consider for his 2016 docket. I see some of our finest directors and actors from the last 30 or 40 years in cinema and ask why is some of their finest work languishing for minor mistakes, be them self-indulgence, poor casting, uneven execution. So I will be graciously asking the court to take up many of these films another day in court, giving, uh, giving one of the, many of these films another day in court in the year of our Lord 2016. Thank you, Your Honor, and happy holidays. Well stated. I would like to hear Steve Kruger's opening statements in this private session where I'm not wearing any pants. Go, Steve. I thought this was an informal session. I, I didn't wear any pants either. All right, well, I'm just going to say bonanza like 50 times, and um, you guys can go listen to the new Serial podcast. It's really good. Uh, uh, yeah, it is the holidays, and uh, we were going to do— I, I guess my biggest complaint is about the um, the judicial system— here within and um, the behind the scenes makings of this podcast where we had decided for the end of the year and for the release of the new Star Wars movie we would watch the prequels all three episode one episode two episode three I forget their names yeah this court did assign did assign that to poor Steve I might it might have been a Christmas prank that I was playing on him yeah well all I have to say is uh, over three days, I binged on the three Star Wars prequels, and it left me in a fugue state. And so last night, I went and saw um, the the Hateful uh, Force Awakens, whatever it's called, and I loved it. So good, um, yes, Re- reasserting our faith. Yes, but my my faith has been restored. I I had a smile from ear to ear. I, I think it would I think it would please uh, the courtroom or the the private quarters to to give a tiny little. Listen, I, I think Judge Ryan would agree that no one wants to hear us talk about Star Wars. Um, every fucking podcast in the galaxy is talking about Star Wars right now. So uh, whether they I don't the disagree, pre- but I but I was told after I watched all three, so I it was had to personal. Suffer. It's personal for Steve. In, now. in the interest of telling, because I think um, cinematic jurisprudence uh, and the history of our cases are fascinating to our audience. What was happening was, for the last year and before that, I had always been threatening the, the court with bringing up the prequels for, uh, for appeal. Now, you say you want them to be in jail. I think they're already in jail. I think they've been in jail from yeah, the minute that's true. they were released. I think there's no question that those they're prequels... They're in a deep, the, dark hole. Yeah, yeah. They, they're in fucking solitary confinement. They're in, they're in the pit. So my whole thing was, over the past two decades, however fucking long those movies have been made for now i'd always was going to sort of argue for leniency and so in the interest of star wars being released and our first year of movie court and everything we were going to do a huge big prequel thing where i was then going to argue for leniency for the prequels that was before the revenant awakens came out so then so we went ahead and did it and we all started watching them kruger uh for the for i think perhaps the first time in movie court's history actually watched what he was told to watch and uh, all three of these fucking things, I watched the first 20 minutes of Attack of the Clones and decided that maybe I didn't have a case. And so I contacted Judge Ryan and I said, listen, help me out here. Maybe I don't have a case. Also, it, uh, Star Wars was getting so 
amped up again in December that it was we were getting bored that we were just another podcast talking about Star Wars and we thought why why fucking do it? And I do have to say that during the discovery phase of the prequel uh, would be trial that never happened, you know, Star Wars came out or the new Star Wars came out, and I think at the very least it's non suckiness. Um, and what is J.J. Abrams for uh, besides making things that just don't suck? I think he's, his expertise is, is just making sure things don't dip into suckland. Yes, and Kruger, I am sorry you had to sit through them. Um, That's all I'm saying. I'm not attacking the movies. I'm attacking you <laughs> for your inability to communicate to me. So I spent three days, I, nine hours of my life, watching a character turn into another character that everyone on the planet Earth knows is going to turn into. It was uh, kind of stupid. I, I don't agree with the discussion that the prequels are bad because they tell a story we didn't need to hear. There is a great tragedy of Anakin Skywalker to be told, even though we know his fate. That's never the, been the problem with those prequels. It's that they're badly told that he to- chose to tell the absolute worst version of that story that he could have been told. And also another reason not to bring it into this courtroom is because I don't know if either of you have seen the red letter media dissertations on all three of those movies, (laughs) but they're kind of amazing. And they say everything that's ever been needed to say about those prequels. Um, the last thing we'll discuss with this is the fact that that's a that is a, a testament to how obsessed Star Wars nerds had to be with those prequels because it was all we had. Now with these new ones, it's like okay, we can finally just ignore the existence of those things because the future is brighter ahead, and we don't have to try to make these unwatchable movies watchable for ourselves. Wait, is this is this still my opening statement that you guys talk over? Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Why, why okay. don't you wrap up your opening statement? I haven't no, even begun. Yeah. I'm just clearing my throat. But you guys, uh, you, you, I didn't know this was a back and forth. I thought this was uh, my time. My time <laughs> down here. It's my time down here. Um, do you have anything if, you want to wrap up your opening statements before we segue into nominees for the coming? I haven't uh, even started docket. my opening statement. You're. <laughs> I didn't think you had one, honestly. That's I was actually trying to cover for you because I there's I didn't no need know to cover for me. One. I can run my mouth for hours. Just ask the woman <laughs> that lives with me. It's a it's a it was a terrible year for movies, and it's a terrible time for movies. Everything that came out this year is an IP, is a remake of something, is something that's uh, a, a sequel. We're we're in a terrible time for movies. Where conversely, we're in an excellent time for television. Where. I'm blasting through Mr. Robot, and it's amazing, and I'm uh, watching Jessica Jones, and I'm loving it. The, the great stories are being told on the small screen, so uh, it, it's it's not a good time. But I noticed in the all the, the year-end critics' polls of the best movies, Fury Road was in almost all of them. And I kept going back to that movie all year long. I, I actually saw it four times, twice in the theaters. I saw it twice on video or whatever. It, it gives me hope. Um, okay, so uh, let's get into some nominees. I want to hear uh, Prosser Kruger's nominees first. Go. Well, at the, t- at the top of my list is a movie that I did not like for many years, and then liked for many years, and then did not like, and then most recently liked again, and now I'm back again in my sort of um, Haley's Comet uh, every five years. I love The Shining, and then I don't love The Shining. So I'm in a don't-love-The-Shining kind of mode, so I'd like to pick that one apart. As as probably would Stephen King, who is not a fan of it. That is probably the most divisive of the Kubrick I, I, It's I, I've, I have the same relationship with that movie. Real quickly, The Shining is... I, I it, it reminds me of Scarface, where when we talked about Scarface, it was this thing where we had, like, like you said, every five years I like it, every five years I sort of say it's overrated. 
But yeah, I, I think Shining is a, a fun one to take on. I could definitely defend the Shining. Um, all right, very good. Well, and, and I should I should mention that as we discuss these things, um, again, the listeners, um, please weigh in on uh, which of these movies we're discussing today should be on the docket. Um, should I do my next movie, or should I talk about popcorn again? Uh, Kyle, well, let's go to Kyle, a uh, nominee from Kyle. Uh, so far, we have The Shining. I'm making a note, Kyle. Well, Ryan, you brought up earlier, you know, I wanted to keep with the Christmas theme here, the holiday theme, and I'll bring up, I'll say... Wait, he gets to do two movies? Oh, just... <laughs> well, you know, I then you'll... this was informal. I'll start round two. So my my first one will be my round what is one. A, what is a kangaroo court? I think whatever that is, this is. <laughs> I'm not sure what it is, but I've heard the term. I'm sure there's a movie out there called Kangaroo Court, which I will defend in movie court. Um, but in keeping with the holiday theme, I'd like to bring up uh, the writer-director that is known for setting his movies at Christmas, Mr. Shane Black. And uh, Long Kiss long kiss, Goodnight. Um, Ryan, I'll let you talk a lot in a minute. But, um, you know, I think Kiss Kiss Bang Bang has, has got its due. And I think it's becoming a little bit of a underground Christmas yeah, classic. Yeah, fun. And I think Long Kiss Goodnight, uh, Ryan has a fun history with that movie. I, I think it's fun. Um, but um, Long Kiss Goodnight's a fun one to debate. What The movie I will bring up, which I was just thinking of recently, because we were trying to think of Christmas movies and we kind of ran out of time, but this might be a fun one to do, is the fourth in line of a legendary set of movies. And I think they made five of them now. And arguably only one of them is, is, is canon, uh, as they say. Um, the others, uh, there's always been a sense that part two and three aren't that bad and people don't mind them being up there with one. And I think I might be able to make the case for part four, and that is Die Hard 4. I think I might be able to defend Die Hard Ford as, as at the very least, I don't mind it being part of the series. Is that the one where he's trapped on a bus? That is, uh, that's a movie Oh, no, that's Speed. the one where he's, he's on a boat. Well, by the way, Die Hard's allowed to get away with any of the mimicking because Die Hard invented it. So, um, no, Die Hard 4 is actually set in 4th of July, right? And it's set in D.C. And the first half of it is uh, not bad. And um, I think I might be able to defend it. Oh, I like this. Okay, um, interesting nominees so far. We've got Long Kiss Goodnight, The Shining, Die Hard 4, which, what is that one? Live Free or Die Hard? Steve, what are you thinking about? Well, I I, I grew up in Boston. Um, I, I, you probably can't tell from my cheery attitude I have towards the world. <laughs> um, actually, for a Bostonian, I'm like a hippie. Like I'm the nicest, sweetest Boston person you'll ever meet, if that's any indication of what angry people burst forth from that uh, cesspool called New England. Um, go Pats. I want to pick apart a movie that was directed by Boston's own Ben Affleck. Um, and I think it won Best Picture. It might have won Best Director. I think it's Drek. Um, and it's called Argo. Ergo Argo. Ago or something like that. Um, don't think it's saw it in the theaters. Don't think it's good. Don't think it should uh, have the accolades it has and should probably go away. Very interesting selection. I like all of these so far. That's fun. And, you know, Argo, there's some great stories about Clooney. You know, did we talk about it? Clooney produced that movie and, and Affleck kept taking his shirt off for no reason in the movie. And, uh, oh, that's and, my favorite part. What are you talking about? Um, this, you know, next year, what I also would like to do, we, we've talked about this a little bit. I would like to bring up sort of filmographies or defend actors or directors that I think sort of generally have been overly criticized. And there's two that come to mind, and, and it's Oliver Stone and Kevin Costner. Ryan, as my brother knows, because um, he's my brother and he has to listen to me talk, uh, knows that I'm a big Kevin Costner defender. 
for whatever for whatever reason. And I think for a while we had talked about bringing up Waterworld. After Waterworld, you know, Costner, I feel, I don't know if he recovered after that, but he made some, he had some good performances, some nice movies like Tin Cup. He's popped up in little movies here and there since where I think he gives really neat little performances. I also always love, you know, I've talked about Warren Beatty. It's interesting you talk about Ben Affleck, who I'm not a huge fan of as an actor, but I like that Affleck. And even if Argo's not a great movie, I think I can defend it, but, you know, it's not like my favorite movie. I like that Affleck is out there making, same thing I said about DiCaprio earlier, you know, using their star power to make serious, dramatic, big, epic, cinematic movies. It's not my only type of serious movie that I like, but I like these end-of-the-year star-driven dramas. So, yeah, and I think Costner, for his time, played that role, and I think he did it, you know, inconsistently pretty well, and since then has had some nice little performances. And then Oliver Stone is, I think, a really fun director to debate because there's... He's got well. There's a lot there. Yeah. There's just a lot there, and there's a lot of cinema there that I don't think he gets credit for as just a filmmaker, as just an interesting cinematist. <laughs> What's interesting about both of those guys, and this is you can also put any of the great filmmakers into this category of both of those guys are home run hitters. They you can never argue right. that they um, sort of phone anything in or just play it safe. And like most home run hitters, there can be a lot of big, big strikeouts. But um, let's see, Steve, uh, any other nominees you'd like to discuss? Sorry, I went I went and got a sandwich. What did I miss? I was out there for a long time and I thought, shit, I'm missing something. Or, or they're just waiting on me. But no, you guys just, uh, you filled the time. Um, Kevin Costner and uh, George Siegel. No, uh, Oliver Stone. That's who you said. Um a uh, lot of egos in those two men's heads, and <laughs> some some good films there, but some r- real real misguided ones. Well, why don't we call that episode Argo and Egos, and we cover Affleck, Stone, and Costner. I'd like to bring up a movie of uh, directed by two filmmakers, brothers or something. I don't know how they're related, but I enjoy them immensely. And this is a movie. Uh, it's become such a, a part of our culture now, and I have seen it, and then for a brief moment in my life, I thought I understood it. Oh, they're doing Dashiell Hammett. And then I watched it again recently, and I said, no, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Now, I love these guys. They, they've made perhaps two or three of the greatest films of all time, which is a high praise, but I would like to nominate The Big Lebowski. You know, the problem with that movie, I, I, I like the movie. It's funny, I did have a, initially had an interesting relationship with that movie, um, interesting to me <laughs> um but i it was it was uh, it was i like i didn't know what to th- I, I think i enjoyed it when i saw it in the theater and then but i would got out and like i wasn't aware that was about and then i think i was like critical of it and then uh, the next time i saw it i really liked it and got what they were doing and it's uh you know the cone brothers are hard to to debate because i too agree that they're two of the maybe top five directors of all time but they're some of their movies are so Unarguable. Big Lebowski is supposed to be kind of ridiculous. It's, it almost defies debate because it's it is kind of nonsensical. It is about. I think the, when you try to analyze it, it sort of laughs at you for trying to analyze it, and and a lot of their movies do that. I would certainly not attack the filmmaking or the storytelling. I, th- I think it's they're, they're geniuses, but it's become one of these movies that people quote. They dress up like the characters. They're they're so connected to it, and I, I just. I, I don't have that relationship with it, and I, I, I would, perhaps a uh, a super fan would come on and and defend it and explain it to me because I love their movies. I, I even their even their movies that don't work, I love except for the man that wasn't there. That one stunk. 
Yeah, I wouldn't put it in their top five. I, I think I could I could defend that movie, but it's it's it. There is an argument, and and there's several other movies that are like this, and it's kind of speaks to their expertise. And and any artist has these. They're they're so good at what they do. They're so compelled to make to do their work that you know if you look at some if you look at Fargo, which I think had a real burgeoning uh, desire to be made. You know it, that really exploded out of them as did blood simple as did raising arizona and i think no country for old men whereas big lebowski was a little bit of a lark they're so good at lark and they're so good at what they do it's it's like sitting next to bob dylan saying hey can you write me up a little quick little song and you know he sort of farts the song out and you're like actually that was pretty good <laughs> so i think they you know the Coen brothers are the type of directors that can kind of fart out a movie and it can be uh, at the very least watchable but if you analyze you're like oh that wasn't there wasn't much to it Interesting. Okay, uh, Kyle, um, let's go back over to you. Um, well, there was a time, and we already did Ishtar. There was a time when we were going to do an episode that was sort of took on some of the biggest failures of all time and really analyze them. But it was hard to lump them all together because some are worse than others. Some are more defendable. Bonfire of the Vanities has a historical, um, has a story of, of, of failure connected with it and big failure. And um, it's De Palma and it's... Um, it's it's along the lines of Ishtar and Heaven's Gate and stuff that that people always talk about as, as famous as famous failures. Um, I haven't seen it in quite a long time. I remember long before I was trying to defend movies or anything. I remember kind of wondering why everyone attacked it as much. It, it might be fun to bring up because it's a great director. Um, it might even bring fun to be bring up if I was sort of assigned to it. Like I'm not allowed to watch it before I defend it. I have to I have to defend it. Um, but Bonfire of the Vanity, it's kind of fun to bring up those. We've talked about Heaven's Gate. I don't know if we could do Heaven's Gate, but Bonfire of the Vanities might be one of those fun sort of epic uh, failures to to discuss. I remember seeing it and thinking it wasn't that bad. Interesting one. Well, yeah, there's the famous quote that Pauline Kael says, it's it's a bad movie that only a great director could make. Right, right. Um, Steve, do you want to bring up uh, Pauline Kael again? Do you want to start? <laughs> I, I think I follow her on Twitter, right? What's her name? At Pauline, the real Pauline Kael? Okay, maybe in 2016 we'll both we'll both make a, a, a pact to not bring up Pauline Kael in 2016. Don't bring up Pauline. You, can't, you <laughs> can't bring up Fury Road or do uh, Christopher Walken impressions, and I'm not allowed to bring up Pauline Kael. The minute you do Christopher Walken, a Pauline Kael reference is coming <laughs> right out. Guys, no deal. Wow, <laughs> I love talking about. She was a big proponent of Brian De Palma from the very early stages, and she also touted Spielberg as one of the top filmmakers of all time based only on Sugarland Express. Okay, go. Yeah. Um, wow. Continue. She's a visionary. <laughs> uh, we should start winding it down. Let's let's get our um, our a couple more nominees here. Okay. Well, I'd then... like to bring up a, a canon of work um, of a director whose early stuff, when paired with a certain actor is amazing. I think he's done the best filmed comedy of all time. And when he has not worked with this actor, I think he has made absolute dreck. Um, and I am talking about, of course, Mel Brooks. Carl Reiner. And oh. <laughs> his work with Gene Wilder. I think um, Young Frankenstein is the best comedy ever filmed. I think the comedy in Blazing Saddles is so dense and so rich. Um, and everything without Gene Wilder is pretty bad and i know comedy is subjective but i i'd like to kind of pick apart the fact that you need a muse when you do uh, this when you make comedies adam mckay has will ferrell um i have kyle bornheimer um, <laughs> when you break apart from that relationship the the, the art suffers and witness uh space balls which is unfunny 
Uh, I, I could go on and on. Men in tights. It just goes down, down this path of not funniness. And I, I, That's I interesting. Wanna... That would be... Yeah, but you, you even said it. Comedy is tough to debate because it does... In the end, it comes down to, I think that's funny and I don't. Well, okay, end of discussion. But, but I, I'm not, I, I think I'm it not might debating be something a movie. I'm debating analyzing. the work of, of someone who I think is incredibly funny and who lost his uh, partner in it for whatever reason and his work suffered. So for that, he should his 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 bad film should go bye bye. Yeah, I, I think that's an interesting thought. Obviously, I think between you know whatever producers you know, and um, I, I guess you're almost arguing only up to Blazing Saddles or only up to Young Frankenstein. So five years of his work, you know, some might argue give him give him the producers all the way up to History of the World, give him give him you know sixty seven to nineteen eighty one or something. And the, the idea that Gene Wilder was the reason for the success of those comedies, I mean, Gene Wilder's a probably the greatest cinematic comedic actor of all time, and those performances between producers Blazing Saddles and Young Frankenstein are. Um, there, that's kind of only if you had to only watch one comedic actor in your entire lifetime to to learn how to the best way to be a comedic actor on screen, then you watch Gene Wilder and the combination. And Mel Brooks was at just the way John Hughes was in the eighties. The way you know he, he was just going through this uh, hyper energized creative uh, time in his life for those times. I don't think I, I think I could definitely and comedy is hard to defend. I think I could definitely defend high anxiety. I think I could defend Spaceballs. There are actually parts of the Robin Hood one I can defend. I don't know if it was necessarily Gene Wilder as much as Brooks was old when he started his, you know, he was already in his 40s when he was doing those movies in the 70s. I think he just sort of ran out of creative juice a little bit. And I think there's, I think I can, I can argue this. Dracula dead and loving it, anyone? Anyone? Yeah, maybe not that one. Um, All right, well, let's not waste the debate here if we ever bring it up. Uh, so, Kyle, um, maybe your final nominee. We should start wrapping this up. Uh, or you guys can rattle them off, too, if you have uh, ones you don't need to necessarily discuss but want to rattle yeah, off a few. I mean, we talked to, yeah. I mean, you know, Ryan, you can think about this and people can weigh in. I thought I think maybe I can defend Interstellar. I think I might be able to defend. I think we've talked about Lone Ugh. Ranger, the latest Lone Ranger being um, underrated. And I think uh, we, we, we're t- trying to debate whether or not 2006 Rocky Balboa is in movie jail and I need to get it out of movie jail. I, I really like that movie, but we none of us can agree. I think we all think that people Wait, do is like that Rocky, Rocky Six? Is that the one on the boat or is that the one in the building? <laughs> That's the one where he's That's on where a Jason speeding goes bus. To Manhattan. Oh, yeah. Rocky Balboa is the one with the scene where he goes, <laughs> I got a little piece of blood inside of me and I, I got to get it out. That was good. Print it. We're moving on. Um, Sly, I don't, I don't know if I don't know if we uh, you know, I don't think the intention of that line landed. Uh, I'll give you another one. Action. Cut. That was good. Let's move it on. Yeah, let's just get one for safety, okay? Just just for editing. Okay. Action. I got a little piece of something and I got it. Steve, move did you see Creed? No, I don't like movies. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um Best answer ever. Uh, any other nominees we want to rattle off here really quickly? Lost in translation, because I just got from back from Japan, and uh, it doesn't hold up. It's not as good that's as I remember. That's a holy uh, or a holy cow. What is the word I'm looking for? That is a sacred cow, I feel like. No, I like holy cow. That is going to bring us to the end of our year-end wrap-up that will uh, bring us into 2016. Um, so far, let's, Hold on, let's guys. I'll off. give you one more, one more. I got one more in me. Action. <laughs> 
I had a little piece of black stuff inside of me and I can't get out. Cut. Are, uh, are you done, Sly? Uh, <laughs> you want to do I'll that be again? in my trailer taking human golf club. Cup the balls. Cup the balls. Uh, if anyone doesn't know what that means, just Google St- Sylvester Stallone plus cup the balls and you'll find out the story. Um, okay, so the nominees that we have brought up here, uh, and there are many more to come, I'm sure. And of course, like we've been saying, listeners, please call in with your own nominees. We also, well, I'll come back to that. So, But these nominees that we've discussed today are Long Kiss Goodnight, The Shining, Live Free or Die Hard. We've got Argo, uh, The Careers of Oliver Stone, Kevin Costner or Mel Brooks, perhaps. Big Lebowski, Bonfire of the Vanities. We've got Interstellar, Lone Ranger, Lost in Translation, and Twenty Five Bond movies. <laughs> that should be a that should be a quick discussion. Don't forget about me. Oh, Rocky Balboa. I got a little piece of blood stuff in me that I can't get out. So the other thing we want to do is some court-appointed situations where maybe I'll mix it up and make Steve Kruger defend a movie and Kyle prosecute. Maybe they won't know what movie they're going to, to get and they, ha- they have no choice but to prosecute or defend. There's a lot of things we want to do. And again, if anyone has any ideas uh, of ways to mix up the format a little bit in the coming year, we are anxious to hear it. But uh, yeah, do you guys have anything you want to say to wrap up this uh, this year in movies and uh, take us into the next? It's uh, it's been a sad year, but there's been a little brightness. And if you haven't seen Fury Road, go see it about five six times. It'll make you so happy. I wish every movie was Fury Road. I want to live in that movie. I want to live immortal. Uh, I die. I live again. I die. Whatever. I. The only thing that would make that movie better is if they ran over a uh, aging Sly Stallone who was in the middle of that line. <laughs> Wait, there's an aging five foot four guy who's taken a lot of human growth hormone. What's he say? <laughs> I got a little piece of blood inside of me. I got it. Boom! Run him right over. Well stated. Well. Put. Happy New Year. Uh, Kyle, your closing statement. I I do um, no, I don't have any. Clue. It was I think it was wonderful. Year. Go see movies in the theaters. There's plenty of awesome movies out there, uh, despite what Kruger says. <laughs> um, and uh, I had a good year at the movies this year. I actually didn't see nearly enough that I wanted. And 2016, yeah, stay tuned to Movie Court in 2016. Uh, we got a lot of good stuff planned. And um, Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays, Happy Hanukkah. Happy New Year. Uh, okay, really quickly, um, let's do our plugging. Where can we all be reached? Steve's private email is at cinematic curmudgeon. Um, uh, no, you can uh, reach my- me through Kyle's P.O. Box, P.O. Box 509, Santa Monica, California, 94201. I'm at, uh, at Kyle Born- uh, Twitter, I'm at Kyle uh, Instagram, uh, I'm at Kyle Bornheimer 2075. And uh, you can look for me with Jane Lynch and Maggie Lawson and Kevin Pollock on CBS starting in January, January 7th on Angel from Hell. It's a hilarious new show. We're really proud of it. It's Jane Lynch plays this irreverent angel that might not be an angel. It's it's so, so good. And we're really, really proud of it. Watch it. Uh, you can reach me at Steven Kruger, P H E N. On Twitter and at Steven Kruger on Instagram. Also, I'm at CompuServe at uh, 21. No, there's no <laughs> CompuServe isn't a thing anymore, is it? Uh, also, you can email the movie court at the movie court at gmail.com or our Twitter at the movie court. And that is it. This court that was never in session is now adjourned. Thanks, guys. Movie court. Movie court. Movie court.